hate people who whine. Um, so I try not to do it. In other news, um, those of you who are on Facebook with me and who are my friend, my mother managed to get out of Walmart without having the police called. We're all really proud. Um, Anyways, tonight's topic probably has no bearing on the title of my show. Uh, the thing is, is I was getting ready to do a show and I couldn't think of a topic and I asked the bitches and none of the bitches had any, well, there was the ass baby situation that I really don't, it was terrible, you guys, it was terrible, okay? So anyway, there will not be any discussion of ass babies on my podcast, um, I think we all know who to blame for that. And it wasn't Lady Holder. I think we all know who to blame. Anyways. So, I was I was thinking about um being a writer and um there came a point in my in my life when you meet somebody new um, or you meet somebody, you re-meet somebody you haven't seen in a very long time, inevitably they ask you, so what are you doing? What do you do? You know, um, and you answer with your job, like, you know, um, waiting tables here, I'm working at this bank, or um, just, you know, that's what you do. It's you, you answer, this is what I'm doing. And there came a point when I stopped saying, oh, I'm working at this bank or I'm working um, in this accounting office or I'm working in this um, facility, and I started saying, I'm a writer. I remember the first time I said it, I um, I didn't have anything published. And so immediately that person asked me, well, do you have anything published? You know, where could I buy it? And then... When I said no, I got this disappointed look like, you're one of those people. You're going to be one of those people. And for non-writers, when you, um, when, when I encounter non-writers and they find out I'm a writer, now these days I can say, yeah, I'm published. Um, you can go to my books here, here, and here. Here's my website. You can go to Amazon and, you know, whatever. Hand me your Kindle and I'll show you a book. Um, But before, it was, there would be this look of, I don't want to call it pity, but it was kind of like that. It was kind of like, oh, God, you're going to waste your life. And it was written all over their face. It was written, like, literally all over their face. Oh, you're just going to be wasting your whole life trying to be a writer. And someone said it to me once. Um, well, don't you think you need to get a real job? Well, I had a real job at the time, actually. Um, I said, well, actually, you know, I do work at this place, and I have this job, and da, 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 and I, I do this, this, and this, and it's great, it's fine, but I'm a writer. She said, but that's not what you do. And I said, that's not true. It's what I've always done. Always. Forever. I've been a writer. I came out of the womb a writer. Before I could see or read or write or even control my own hand, I was a fucking writer. I was born this way. People who don't write, 
who don't have that creative spark in them for some kind of art, art, music, the written word, it's difficult to explain that it's always been there. It has literally always been there, that spark. I'm a writer. I do other things to make a living, but at the end of the day, at the end of every day, I'm a writer. And um, my husband and I were having a conversation, and it's kind of off topic, but a little bit on topic too. And um, I had a really interesting response for him to this question he asked me. So apparently the RNC um, had their convention, and they used some music they were not supposed to use. Um, And they got in trouble for it. And my husband asked me, he says, why do you think that that happens a lot to Republicans? They get in trouble for using music they're not supposed to use, but it doesn't happen to Democrats that often. And I was like, well, it could be because Democrats are actually um, inclined to pay for the things that they use, so they're getting licensing and they're getting permission. Um, and so the other part of it could be the fact that there are a lot of musicians who are actually um, liberals and Democrats themselves, so they don't mind their work being used at say the DNC um, and they give their permission easily and with, and with no problems um, and he asked why that was and I, I said well you know and I had a really what it boils down to and this is going to sound really terrible but this is this is honestly what I think um, politicians want to use very inspiring music music that lifts you up and inspires you and, and makes you want you know to just Boom! Just you know, just lift your heart and make and just make you so excited and so pleased and powerful. And the thing is, is in order to create that kind of feeling in somebody, you have to have it inside you already. So when you encounter music like. Queen, Freddie Mercury, to be, we are the champions. Um, when you encounter an artist like Freddie Mercury, you know that deep inside him was this well of amazing goodness, and he's sharing it with you. And so you feel inspired by him. So it takes that kind of inspiration to create inspiration. And I think a lot of times people who are very conservative just don't have the ability to create that kind of goodness. And that's probably worse than what I said about pedophiles a couple of years ago. But I don't, I don't care. I think you have to be good to inspire good. And I think you have to have a, a giving and an open heart to inspire other people to be giving and loving and when you're full to the brim with entitlement and selfishness and um, absolutely no desire to help your fellow man, that's not exactly inspiring to anybody. I'm just saying. Shelly says in the chat room, if you're really preoccupied with telling other people how to live, there's no space for figuring out how to truly live yourself. And that's true. It's very true. Um, and when you, I, I, 
got the idea of of constricting myself into a conservative landscape is is horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And I don't understand how people box themselves in with these these terrible judgments and um I just I don't get it and and I probably never will. Uh but what it boils down to is that um there is a creative spirit in some people and that spirit is is moving and inspiring and beautiful and you get amazing amazing artists with this creative spirit you know Freddie Mercury is by far one of the best examples for that she's beautiful beautiful um and when you find a writer that inspires you that way, it, it is a very special, special relationship um, that can sometimes breed um, a kind of contempt that in that you love them, but you also kind of hate them. And I encounter that. I encounter that both as a reader and as a writer. Um, I have readers who get very, very frustrated with me for um, not going in the direction they want me to go, for not writing on a particular project they want me to write on, for not giving in to their to their wants and desires and demands. And one thing I noticed during Rough Trade this week, this month, um, is we had about 80 comments that ended up in the spam um, folder. And, and that's where I keep all the people who misbehave. So I can keep an eye on people who are continuously misbehaving on Rough Trade. And one thing I noticed about all the comments that ended up in the, in the naughty folder in the corner um is that they were all like I, 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 me, 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 me. I want this. I want that. I need your this. I need you to answer this question for me. I, I, I. And he got, <sighs> honestly, I could have stabbed a few people this month. Not like fatally. It would hurt a little. It would have hurt. You'd have felt it. It might have been difficult to sit down because I'm the kind that like to, that he pulled in the butt. That's just the kind of thing that I would do because you would feel it every time you fucking sat down and you would deserve it. In the butt. I'm going to stab them a little bit in the butt. Just just a little. It'll be a flesh wound. Yeah, in many ways, Julie said in the chat room, in many ways as people telling authors what to write and that's really really frustrating because it doesn't mesh with um the spirit of rough trade but moreover it it's very intrusive i think that readers who try to make these demands on writers literally have no idea how personal writing is you don't I'm honestly not sure how to to really give you a good analogy of of what that means when I say that it's personal. It's very personal. And when you intrude on, you know, it's kind of like walking in on somebody masturbating, to be perfectly honest. 
And when you walk in on somebody masturbating, you immediately close the door, right? You don't invite yourself into the room to give them tips on how to do it. And if you are the kind of person that would do that, I don't want to know you. I'm just being honest. I I really do not want to know you. Um, Refrain from giving writers advice and feedback unless you're explicitly asked for it because it's just terrible and rude. Um, and I mean, not, not I mean like regular feedback. Oh, this was great. That was awesome. I mean, like you putting your wishes and desires for a fic into writing and putting it in the comment box, like, like that's genuine feedback because it's not. What you're doing is you're intruding on that author's space into their mind palace to watch them jerk off, and it's really inappropriate. I'm just saying. I mean, just, it's really annoying. But the first time I sat down to write, I had a little notebook. And I wrote in that little notebook four days, four days, every day, every day I wrote in that book. And I filled up all the pages, and it was like 100 pages. And I filled it all up, and then I asked my mom for another notebook. And she said, I just gave you a new notebook. It had been about a month. And I said, well, that one's full. So she took me to, like, the Dollar General. It's a dollar store. And... um. She gave me $5, and I was really, really lucky because the notebooks were like a dollar a piece. And so I got five books. I got, I got five notebooks, and they were 200 pages a piece. And um, I took them home, and I had my pens, and I set everything up. And I proceeded to, over that year, fill up all five notebooks. And they weren't all the same story. It was um, I was just short stories and poems and just just I was getting it all out of my head. I was just trying to get all the stuff out of my head because it was in my head, and I couldn't I couldn't not do it. I had to get it out of my head. I still do that to this day. Not so much um, notebooks, but I, I, I do carry a notebook wherever I go. In fact, I buy purses specifically on a, on you know, standing. If it will fit a notebook, I can have it. If not, I can't. Although recently I did buy a really cute um, multi-sack uh, backpack that's kind of small. So I went over to the book to the notebook section um, in the store. And I found a notebook that would fit in the purse, and then I bought the notebook in the purse (laughs) so that I would have a notebook in my purse. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, and it's just because I can't not have one. It's just something that's ingrained in me. And... I have a little keyboard for my Kindle, and uh, you know, sometimes I, you'll catch me writing on my phone with a little, with a little stylus if I'm holding something. Um, I'm just, you know, crazy. Uh, but uh, there's just there's something about being a writer that um, is so intrinsically part of me 
that there came a point when I could not say out, I could not say anything else but say, what do you do? I'm a writer. That was the day. I'm a writer. And, um, it was just, honestly, it was just like this, this well of, of anxiety that I had inside me just burst. And then I was, I had this freedom that I could, you know, that it was, that I no longer had to hide what I was doing and I, I, I no longer had to pretend I wasn't writing something in my notebook when I was or, you know, and I didn't have to pretend I wasn't doing something or doing something else on the computer when I was going to write. I could just say, you know what, I'm going to go write. I'll see you guys later. I'm writing today. You need to give me some space. And it was easy. It became so easy just to say, no, I'm writing today. And when someone called me, I didn't have to make an excuse to not go somewhere because I was writing, I could just say, I'm writing today. It's my writing day, so I can't do that. But we can do this tomorrow, and we can go have lunch here if you want. And eventually, I trained the people around me in my life to it. Because at one time, it was very difficult for them to accept. Um, well, can't you do that anytime? The first time I told my mom, um, no, I don't want to do that because I'm writing today. Um, she said, well, can't you do that next week? My mom was a great person, um, and she's just really, really super amazing. I accidentally closed my dashboard, um, and she's just awesome. She's just an awesome person, and I was like, nope, I'm writing today. And it was a difficult moment for her because she didn't get it. She didn't understand my process but she learned my process and she accepted my process and um found a way to include herself in my writing time in my process so it, it you know in that respect I'm in that respect I'm very lucky because I don't have to worry about um uh there's a There's not a lot of money in being a writer, and unless you, you know, you you hit the jackpot, Harry Potter style, it's just not something that's going to make you a lot of money. And there is a shame attached to giving your time to something that isn't going to make you a great deal of money. Um, when you sacrifice time to this. To get no mo- to get no monetary um, value out of it, um, people like are isn't that a waste of your time? And fan fiction writers, I'm sure in, in, we encounter this a great deal more than um, professionally because once I was published professionally, people stopped asking me if it was a waste of my time. Are you sure you should be wasting your time like that? Couldn't you be waiting tables somewhere to make some money? Adam, my uncle said to me once, "Asshole." So there is this 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 shame of of giving yourself to an activity that may or may not make money. And in fandom, you don't make any money 
on your fan fiction unless you're an idiot and you're just looking to be sued. Um, (laughs) And so I think one of the reasons why I hid um, what I was doing and for so long is because I didn't want to answer those questions. Are you sure you should be wasting your time with that? Is it, are you going to make any money doing that? Really? Ask what you're doing. Can I read it? No, you cannot read it. I cannot stand to watch somebody read my work. I literally cannot do it. My. Nuh-uh. Just no. I. I met my agent at a um, convention about five years ago. No, I didn't meet her for the first time. Well, I met her on on phone for the first time, but I met her in person a couple years after we signed. And um, I had brought a book with me to the convention because she wanted, to, she wanted to see the project I was working on. So I gave her the printout of it. And then I watched her for like literally 30 seconds. I watched her turn to the first page, and she might have been halfway down page two before I got up. I said, I'm sorry, I can't watch you do this. I cannot watch you read my stuff. I have to go away. Call me when you get done. (laughs) It was only like 100 pages. (laughs) I said, I'll be over in the bar. I can't watch. I cannot watch. And, um... She called me when she was finished. I just I I can't watch somebody do it. I can't. It it's just, it. The only thing worse than watching somebody else read my work is watching somebody read my work out loud. Oh my god, that is actually the most mortifying experience of my life. I I my face is getting hot just thinking about it for when it happened. It was just I was. And not emotionally prepared for that to happen. And no. No. I just can't do it. It's just, it's, it's deeply uncomfortable. And I think it comes back to that whole thing about writing being so personal. Um, And um, you're, you put a little bit of yourself into everything you do as a writer. Um, I was watching a video on YouTube, uh, Carrie, I forget her last name, um, she had a book come out, um, and she called the book her word baby. She's just the cutest thing. She's so cute. Uh, and she called the book her word baby. And it was adorable because that's exactly what it is. It's, it's um, Carrie Fletcher. Thank you, Azure. I appreciate that. Um and she had a book come out, and Carrie Hope Fletcher, very adorable, very adorable young woman um, on YouTube. Um, and uh, is her book called The Other Side or From the Other Side? Or <laughs> someone in the chat room asked, "What would you do if you found someone reading Ties That Bind or something at your coffee shop?" I have actually um, encountered. Um, I was in Nashville, and I walked by somebody who was reading, um, who, who was on my website. I couldn't tell what they were reading because I walked by really fast. But I saw my website, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I kept on walking. <laughs> I 
I just because no, no. <laughs> it's a thing. Um once in Atlanta, uh, I had a conversation with a lady in a Starbucks, um, and she actually listed my professional name among her favorite authors. And we'd been talking for like, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes. And at that point, it was too late really to tell her who I was because I don't think she would have believed me. And it was really weird because she listed me as one of her favorite authors. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. And I can't tell you. Oh, my God. I'm Because it would, it would have been so weird, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know if she would have believed me or if she would have gotten mad or, or, or what would have happened. But then I felt like I couldn't tell her. And it was just really bizarre. It was really bizarre. I don't even know. Carrie Hope Fletcher's book is called On the Other Side. And um, I have it on my wish, my wish list on Amazon. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy her word, baby, so I can, can read it. Um, anyways. <clears throat> um, recently... I celebrated 30 years as a, as, um, well, I finished my first novel 30 years ago, July 3rd. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? That's so crazy. It's so crazy. Um, it was 200 pages, single, single space typed. Um, Times New Roman, 11 point. I mean, it, it was craziness. I still have it. Um, the pages are yellow. It's kind of like a an ancient document now. <laughs> when I was three, yeah, I was three. I was actually 13. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually keep accurate birth dates records on any of my sites. I just... I make up whatever I want for the day when I'm filling it in because as long as I'm over 21 when I put it in, that way I don't get sanctioned or, or censored. That's, you know, but yeah. So uh, that was an interesting anniversary because my mom called me. She said, you know what today is? And I'm like, no. And she said, this is your 30th anniversary of finishing your first book. I said, shut up. Really? She says, yeah, I have it. (laughs) She she wrote it down in my baby book. I said, Mama, I wasn't a baby. She says, yeah, but it was, like, awesome. So I put it down in your baby book. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so weird. Um, but, yeah, it's in, my, it's in my baby book. I was 13. It was um, a Harlequin-style romance. Oh, bless me. It's terrible. It is absolutely terrible. In fact, just reading it, I, I I pulled it out and I was reading it and it was embarrassing to read. That's how terrible it was. It was literally embarrassing to read. Um, and um, so, yeah. Oh, bless me. Anyways, not really literally. But you know what, though, as as terrible as it is, um, looking back on it, I'm kind of super proud of my 13-year-old self. Um, 
And uh, I have a cousin who was also writing around that time, and um, she wrote a fantasy novel. Um, she's a year younger than me. And um, she... <laughs> oh, it was just as bad as my own. We um, actually compared them, and... Um, I don't know who was more embarrassed by the by the quality, me or her. It was a pretty close, you know, because, yeah, it was bad. Anyways, <clears throat> that's just, I think that um, I have, the only time I've ever lost work is during that great hard, hard drive failure. And I lost about, hmm, I think the safe estimate is I lost about 500,000 words total across a bunch of projects and I freaked the fuck out. Yes, I did. I freaked the fuck out. Um, but that's the only, that's the, that's the only work I've ever lost. Everything else I have. Um, I probably have close to, um, my lifetime word count is probably around 10 million words. Maybe a little more. Definitely more. Typed. Typed, I would say, probably around 10 million words, give or take. But I have about 100 notebooks that I, um, that I have not transcribed. When I transcribe a notebook, I usually destroy the notebook and I keep the, the digital. But I have about 100 of those that I have not transcribed. Um, It's weird, right? I don't even, I mean, I think 10 million could be conservative. I never counted it all up. I mean, because I have a 20 novel series that's never seen the light of day, and each one of those is about 100,000 words. I think my published word counts probably around... Well, yeah, that's in my fanfic folder. I have about 100 works in progress in my fanfic folder, but that doesn't count my professional works in progress, um, of which I have about 200-something of those. Uh, but... <laughs> two zillion. I have two zillion words. But I would say um, maybe my professional word count is around 3 million and then my fanfic is a little over, is almost 1.5 at this point, or, or am I close to two? I have to look. But um, <clears throat> but that's just published works, not my um, actual work in progress for um, fan fiction. So, oh, I'm actually over two million. I'm two million four hundred and two thousand words as far as fan fiction goes. Yeah, I passed it. I'm I'm almost I'm almost at two point five. I could be at two point five. I'm not sure I'll I added that courting Hermione to um my list, but I'll check that later. Anyways, <clears throat> um I think one thing, um My losses were terrible. Um, the, the great hard drive failure was was devastating. I um, uh, 
I back up like three different places now. Because I'm just, I'm petrified of, of, I even bought a fire safe and every month I download a new copy of my writing to um, uh, a thumb drive and put it in the fire safe just in case my house burns down and Google dies at the same time. I have Google. I also have a Dropbox and um, a fire safe. I regret nothing. <laughs> Three hard drives, and, uh, like external hard drives. I don't, you know, it's, because my words are so uh, important to me. Losing what I lost was just like it was like it was like getting punched in the face. It was just it was literally I thought, like, oh my god. And I also lost a professional project that I was in the middle of, and I was like a month and a half from deadline, and I had to write the whole damn thing in a month and a half. <sighs> Not cool. That's the thing about professional projects because you write on spec, so I'd already cashed that check. And when you already cash somebody's check, <laughs> you can't come back and say, oh, I don't have it. I'm sorry. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> so just remember, keep that in mind. If you're on spec, you cash the check, you, you owe them money or you owe them words. And if you don't have the money and you don't have the words, you're going to get sued. Just saying. Just saying. You got to be careful. I had already cashed that check. It was terrible. I did get a little extension, a little extension, like two weeks, I think. But um, as normally they're very good about, you know, because writing is a very creative process, and sometimes shit happens, and you know, you your dog gets sick, and you can't write anything. Um, it's just. Eleanor says the one that you wrote, the professional one, was it different than the than the original? Yes, it was actually. It was um I I find myself incapable of reproducing work exactly the same. So when Sentinels of Atlantis there were some really drastic changes. I lost um the, the second half of the season. Um but when it came to the book, um I had written it on specs, so they, they had a proposal, um and they had expectations of of what the book was going to be like because I'd given them a very detailed proposal, but um, it was an inherently a different book. Same plot, same characters, completely different voice. Um, I wrote the first book in third person. I wrote the the um, the rewrite in first person because I don't, it just, it just came out that way. And sometimes you can't control that. So, you know, I have a really hard time duplicating my own work. I can reuse themes. I can reuse characters. Obviously you guys see me do that all the time in fan fiction, but I have a very difficult time, um, duplicating my own work to that extent. Um, if I had tried, I never would have finished it. And um, while it's super important to meet your obligations professionally, um, 
it's not a good idea to force yourself into a box where you're going to do it badly. Um, so I talked to my editor about it. I said, look, you know, I, I lost this book and I'm going to have to rewrite it, but I'm going to have to rewrite it in first person. Um, how do you feel about that? And she says, well, do you have any of it written? And I, I sent her the first chapter because I had tried to write it in third person several times and it just wasn't working. So I started to do a little bit of an exercise and I wrote it in first person and I wrote about 8K in a day. And so I sent it to her. I said, it's really rough to have and you know, spell check. She says, I don't care. And um, she read it and she emailed back and she says, this is great. I love it. Give me the rest. I said, give me a month and a half. <laughs> and she gave me a month and a half and I sent her a book. And um, it was good, but it wasn't, I, looking back on it, I feel like the book that I lost was better. And I'm not sure if that's because of just how traumatic the loss was. Um, who knows? Who knows? But, uh, yeah, it's weird. I don't write on spec much these days because um, it's very stressful to write on spec and um, to have a deadline and to be told, okay, um, I need 75,000 words um, in six months. Someone in the chat room asks, is if there's fanfic of your pro books, how did you feel about it when you found out? I've never looked to see if there's fanfic for my pro books. Um, I would be um, amused and flattered, but I would not read it. Uh, but I write non-series romance, so there really isn't a potential for fandom there. Um, not like it would be if, if, if I wrote a, a, a young adult series or a, a fantasy series or a big sweeping fantasy sci-fi shit. You know, there's just it isn't the same. There's not really much of a fandom for that. But if it ever happened, I would be I would be amused and flattered. But I absolutely would not read it because I would hate for J.K. Rowling to read one of my books where I bash the hell out of Ron Weasley and where I make Jenny a terrible, no good, potion caring rapist because that's not what she intended for her characters and I I just don't want her to ever be hurt by something that I wrote so I hope she doesn't read fan fiction and if she does I hope she never reads mine I just don't think it's a good idea so I wouldn't read fan fiction written of my works because um it's not for me as the writer it's not for me it's for fans and I wouldn't want to intrude on the fandom that way if I was to ever be so lucky as to have one. It just, it seems, um, as a writer, I don't think it's my place. Wait, does, does it count when somebody else wrote my, because I actually have two writers who are writing in Ties That Bind. Is that kind of like fan fiction? <laughs> So, two or three, four, more coming. Sort of, yeah. Lady Holder wrote um, a garden fic based on one of my Hobbit fics, so there's that. But I think that, uh, professionally speaking, as a writer, you don't want to involve yourself in a fandom um, of your own works, because then it becomes a point where if you read something in fan fiction that you really liked, 
You can't use it. You can never use it. And you might have come to it on your own, but you didn't get to it on your own. You found it in fan fiction. So you can't ever use it, and it can really mess with your process. It can really mess with your creativity and create situations where you could um, infringe on your fans. Even though they probably wouldn't have any kind of legal claim against you, it seems hinky. So I wouldn't I would not read fan fiction of my professional works. Again, for several reasons, but among them, just chief among them, is that I don't think um, I would have a place in my own fandom. That's <laughs> just not where a writer needs to be um, professionally, because um, that's a place for fans to be and to explore. And um, so, no. I know some writers are really upset by fan fiction, and I think that's crazy. I think that's absolutely crazy because you wrote something that was so inspiring to another writer that they had to write about it too. The most fulfilling parts of being a part of a group of writers is the ability to inspire another writer and to know that you've done it. There's there's nothing quite like that, that – that, um, that knowledge that you've moved somebody else so much by your work, by your words, that they feel like they have to, to add to it or to, to just be part of it. That's just, that's just stunning. I, it's just amazing. Um, I think it's one of my favorite part of fandom is that, that, that it's just amazing. Um, inspirational energy. And I I love that energy, and so I I, I would not be upset, and um, but um, I would not read it. <laughs> I do think Julie says in the chat room that fan fiction is the ultimate compliment, and I agree. I agree, it really is. A lot of writers don't see it that way, um, and more to pity, um, because they just they don't know what they're missing out on. Um, uh, I think that you know. It is very good for business. It certainly did a lot for Star Trek, even though they fought it to begin with. In the end, fan fiction, um, a big part of the Star Trek fandom, and quite frankly, I credit it for keeping the interest up for a lot of people, um, which gave us more TV series, which gave us movies, um, and it can't be discredited. Yeah, I had never actually watched The Sentinel until I stumbled across the fan fiction, and then I had to go watch The Sentinel. Um, the same with Inception. I've had many readers tell me they read my Stargate fic, then turned around and went to Amazon and bought the Atlantis series on DVD so they could watch the series, so they could go back to read my stories with show knowledge so I you know it's it would be difficult to dismiss the fact that fan fiction encourages um the purchase of um and the viewership of tv shows and movies and books and you know um it just it, it it's just that's just the way it is fandom is very um 
a, a very organic uh, place where content comes in, content goes out, people move around in it, and they buy things, and they invest in things, and they get deeply invested in characters, and they get deeply invested in writers and stories. And unfortunately, that can sometimes lead to places where um, you get bitchy-ass emails because you, t- you took your site private, and this person can't log in because they're a dumbass, and they send you five emails in 30 minutes while you're dyeing your hair, and you don't even notice, and then you get on your computer, and there are like 16 emails in an hour, and they all want to know why the fuck they can't log into the site, and then kind of find out the little asshole didn't even have a fucking account to log into my site. But I'm not bitter. My hair looks cute, though. I dyed it um, a light brown, and I got it cut in a bob, in a stacked bob. It is really quite adorable. Um, I'm at that point in my life where my gray hair is so hardy that it doesn't take over-the-counter dye well. So what happens is when I dye my hair, I end up getting slightly lighter where my gray is. So it's kind of like highlights. It's it's actually quite nice. I, I enjoy it. Even if I do have to touch up my gray a little bit more often than I do everything else. That's okay, though. I have never watched Teen Wolf, but I read in the fandom. Lady Holder just informed the chat room that her gray is just starting. Um, I want to remind you, Lady Holder, that bragging is ugly. And no matter how much gray hair you have, you'll always be older than me. So there. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be. I'm. I'm. I'm older. <laughs> I'm older than you, but still. <sighs> I took my mom. Fuck um, no! I'm. I'm. My hair's like this mahogany brown. Oh. Yeah. Why do you think you're blonde? I'm gonna have. My sister is. Maybe. Who dyes her hair brown? <laughs> Literally, my sister dyes her hair brown. Okay. <laughs> But, um, no, mom, I checked mom's hair because, you know, curiosity and all. And her gray is is actually um, gathered around the front of her head. The rest yeah, of her hair from about, yeah, from about the middle back is still dark brown. It's horrific. She's 63. I'm not going to be going gray, any, completely gray anytime soon. I have um I have a silver streak like rogue from X Men from my left temple. Mhm. And oh, I guess it's about it's thick, like over a hundred hairs thick. It's a okay. It's a full on streak. Yeah. The other side of the family, I had an aunt who was. Chris Kringle White <laughs> at 40. Okay. 
that is is what my hair is dealing with, and I'm actually really happy that I managed to um, not do that. And yeah, it's uh, the Rowan had the, the white streak, and yes, it was McCaffrey who did that. One. Mine is silver. It's not actually gray. I mean, I, I call it gray hair, but it's t- but it's tinsel silver. Um, it's very shiny, um, and oh. um. It's quite, I mean, if I could go all gray at once, I'd be okay with it, but I hate that mixture. But now when I dye it, I'm I'm doing a light brown. That streak of gray Mm -hmm. is like a blonde, like a shot of blonde highlight through my hair. It doesn't look bad. It's not bad at all. That's cool. Um, But it it won't hold dye long. I'll have to touch it up. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't dyed my hair. But I'm really enjoying this foam dye that I've been buying. It's a mousse dye. And I forget the name brand. Um really? But how, how's the how's the uh, antlers on that thing? You're not nearly as funny <laughs> as you think you are. It's a mousse. I had to do it. Not the animal kind. I know. And um what's really cool <laughs> about it though is normally when you buy dye over the counter, it you, you throw away what mm-hmm. you don't use. What with this mousse, once you mix it, you can keep it what you don't use and use it later. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. Hmm. Makes redoing or touching up stuff much easier then. Yeah, and and because my hair is so short right now, I can use one box of hair dye for like three turns. Well, or like one turn, a touch up, and then a third time for the whole hmm. head. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot, mm. and I forget, I forget the name brand, but if, if someone is interested in it, um, I'll look it up. I'll do that right now. Um, yeah, my your journey as a writer? Um, I was one of those kids who told stories. I, I didn't get into the actual writing them down for a very, very long time, and I approached mine... Uh, very laterally. Um, I wrote, I wrote some things, um, when my husband and I were dating and then, um, engaged, I wrote, (laughs) I wrote a great many steamy letters to him. They've all been shredded. I hope. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you hope. I hope I, I, I may have to go look for those. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I started with that. I fell in love with the written word. Um, and I still, I wrote a little bit here, a little bit there, but for the most part, it was, um, it was talking. It was, it was telling a story to somebody, being able to, um, you know, uh, put my voice on it and, and the inflection and how pacing and everything, the stuff that is very difficult to do, written I could do you know with my voice and so that was how I started uh, telling stories and I I was quite good at it I enjoyed it and then I got double dog beard and I started actually trying to do this you know using a keyboard and and, you know the the blank piece of paper and you know can I do this and lo and behold I could it was really weird the first the first bit, because I swear to God, I sounded like Yoda. <laughs> you probably didn't. Maybe. I don't know. I'll have to look. I, I, well, okay. 
it feels like I, I sounded like Yoda because, you know, some of that stuff is still actually up on my site if you hunt for it. It's there. But, you know, it's, um, it's one of the weirder things to go back and read stuff, especially because I can see the growth, you know, um, and it makes a big difference. And I don't think I would have gone for the profic without the encouragement of fanfic. Actually, I know I wouldn't have. But I also got the, why are you doing that? Why can't, you're, you're writing this, this stuff. Why don't you go write something that will get you published? And all I could think of is, I'm practicing. This is, this is, this is the shit you do to be able to, to do the really nifty professional stuff without falling on your face. You know, uh, instead of getting a shit ton of rejection letters, I'm getting snotty comments back. <laughs> I think that's that counts. Honestly, I would rather get a hundred snotty comments than one rejection letter. Mm-hmm. Because rejection letters are always so impersonal, and it's like, oh, God, why do you say no? You're not telling me why you say no. Mm-hmm. Hurt your feelings. But then you just pick yourself up and you do it again because everybody gets rejections. J.K. Rowling got rejections. Stephen King got a mm-hmm. buttload of rejections. And you just deal with it. You just move on. You know, you don't let it get you down. And the thing is, is no. And I you just can't the cut them comment. out like you were the snotty commenter. To keep that in mind. You can't send nasty nope. emails back to people who reject you professionally. Okay. Because it will get you blackballed. Oh yeah, I, there's there's no way I want to send nasty you know, letters back. <laughs> you know, I can, however, look at the, the the letter if I ever get a rejection letter. You know, which I probably will if I continue this. Speak to it sternly in words that are better left unprinted. Hold it back <laughs> up and go about my life. <laughs> Just keep on fucking. Just keep you on fucking. But you know, the thing is, is um. I literally forgot what I was going to say. Oh, um, that <laughs> hair dye I used earlier is L'Oreal Paris Super Preference. Um, and you can get it at Ulta or you can get it at Walmart like I did. I really enjoy it. They are not sponsoring this podcast. I just like their – I like it because it, it stays where you put it. For those of you who dye your hair at home, uh, you use those liquid dyes, and it just drains down your neck, and it's in your ear. But with this mousse, it sticks exactly where you put it. I appreciate that. They have a red. They have a red. It's fair warning. (laughs) But I really enjoy the fact that I can use it more than once, and I'm not throwing away half the dye because I have short hair. You know? Yeah, I have. It's I a little bit more expensive than problem. the other dye, but it, but if it'll last me three times, that actually saves me money. Yes, it does. I'm My not buying ten dollars. Yeah, you'd need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you probably need the whole bottle. But um, <laughs> it's actually it's it's yeah, very my... handy if you have short hair. My mom has super short hair, and she can make a box of it last four or five times. <clears throat> mm. She has super no. short hair. She would honestly shave her head if she wasn't so disturbed by the shape of her head. She feels like her head's not perfectly round. 
and it bothers her a lot. In fact, it bothers her so much as a young woman that she would sit and rub my head as a baby to make sure my head wasn't pointy or weird. So as a result, I have a perfectly round head in the back. My head is perfect. I have the perfect human head. I I should donate it to science when I die. They have my skull because apparently it's perfect. All I can think of is the, I think it might have been the Iroquois who had the, the, um, they, they shaped their babies' heads by putting a gourd on them and, and getting that forehead. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. Yeah, and then there was somebody down south in America who actually did their own version of Coneheads. Yeah, that's really creepy, too. I won't actually donate my <laughs> head to science, but I probably should because, like I said, my head's perfect. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. My sister's is not so much perfect. Your mother relaxed. She know my sister was difficult. Really? Yeah, amazingly enough. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna be evil. I'm just, I'm just thinking my family and my my kid sister. And realizing, um, it's she's really lucky to have made it to adulthood. So my sister three. could not sit still for love or money. My sister, um, she was three years young, or is three years younger than me, and was just far enough outside of my schooling that the only time we were in the same school together was was grade school, and the rest of the time I didn't have to deal with her. The problem was summers. Then I had to deal with it. Yeah, ropes and boards. And, oh, Melody, that's just not cool. I should find a picture of that just to freak people out. No, you should not. Go oh, sit in the corner for thinking about it. <laughs> God. This shit, you would not believe the shit I put with in the chat room, you guys. You would not believe the shit I had to put up with. Ask babies I did not do that. I didn't do that. Dancing I swear to God, my- and who the fuck made that video and didn't use one night in Bangkok? What's wrong with them? <laughs> I don't know. How could they make um, a yeah. video about dancing roosters and not use one night in Bangkok? I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. But hey, my my idea was actually pretty easy and and simple. It was you know just. You know, children. You know what happens when you do children in a story. As you know, ki- kids of your main characters. How does that warp things? That was mm-hmm. my whole idea. As decided to take it that, you know, six or seven parsecs further. Then we had like ass babies. Which again, yeah, we we're not going babies. to talk about. We're not going to talk about ass babies. And for the record, when you're writing male preg, the rest of us, it can be magic, okay? We don't need to know how the baby comes out, okay? <laughs> no, they didn't use the hamster dance song. <laughs> oh man! Wow, let's see if I can find that damn thing. Oh, here it is. Okay. Yeah, she had no problems finding it. Um, 
Of course not. It's on my it's on my wall. Terrible. We just don't need to know. We just don't need to know how the baby comes out. It's not important to the story. And if it mm-hmm. is important to the story, <laughs> come on. Why the fuck is it important to the story? It should not be. <laughs> there are people who write it to shock. You know this. I find those people very offensive. Earlier in the week, I was going to do a short and junk where I talked about shit that makes me close thick. I'm still going to do it next week. Um, But I was on fanfiction.net, which I do sometimes when I can't write. Really? Um, Yeah, I I dive. I do a fanfiction dive, and I dive right into NCIS. And I noped out of so many fucking fics that day. But we've already discussed the pussification of Tony Dinozo, and we don't need to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Those of you who are watching the Rooster video currently, don't you think it would be better with One Night in Bangkok? (laughs) I'm just saying. They missed out on a golden opportunity. It definitely would have been cool. (sighs) Just saying. I don't understand. Oh. It's not. It's it's terrible. It's terrible. Those poor chickens. <laughs> I don't even like chickens except for when they're on my plate, and I feel like I need to go rescue those chickens from those terrible people. I'm sorry, chickens. Excuse me, chickens are great when they're breaded and deep fried. I really do enjoy deep fried chicken. I I, I have to admit, we had KFC earlier in the week, and it was fantastic. I regret nothing. I did. I found this nice purple rice that I made, and then um, uh, chicken done with um, some spices and then sauteed in butter. It's good stuff. Stop. Azure, <laughs> you say that like it's the first time it ever happened. She said in the chat room, I left the room for a moment and I came back to one night in Bangkok. Why, well, that's the first time. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this place, One Night in Bangkok, is mild. (sighs) I do want to write an Inception fic called One Night in Bangkok. I I think that would be great. It would be absolutely filthy. There's no way it wouldn't be. And that's actually, Azure, not how you spell Bangkok. (laughs) No. On the other hand... <laughs> oh. I'm pretty sure it's. I mean, it definitely no. makes an impression. Is it B A N C O K? Is it B A N G K O K? K O K. I don't know. <laughs> I have Google Books. So. I think we can all agree that it's not spelled B A N G C O C K. Okay. <laughs> uh huh. Well, why not? Come on. I got B A N G K O K. Yes, what Jilly got as well in the chat room. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
We can go with Azure spelling, and that's definitely how I'm going to spell it in the title of my story. <laughs> Not really. Oh, come on. I leave crack to other people. Okay, excuse me. You've written your own versions of it, and it's lovely. Name one story that you think is crack. We're about to have an argument, by the way, in case you bitches missed it. <laughs> the the five things one where he finds That's the um, not crack. Uh, no, is that crack? I find it to be a bit cracky around the edges. <sighs> I know, I'm just horrible. She's so mean to me. You guys hear this? <laughs> and I started my podcast with the assumption that I was not going to be whining this evening. And look what she's done to me. <laughs> my tires are flat and junk. <laughs> I'm putting crack too, so don't even start. I'm, I'm deeply hurt. <laughs> and she and she laughs at my pain, just like she laughed, laughed and laughed and laughed when she killed my tea lady. Rescue is so She's over there it's, giving I'm me a dirty look. I'm going to kill her again. Mm-hmm. No, I just realized something. Oh. I can kill oh. her. I, I will stop talking to you. I'm going to put you in timeout for a month and not, and not talk to you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, my turn, I can kill her again. She's making my heart hurt. Do you hear her talking? She's so evil. <laughs> Who kills the comic release? Anyways, anyways. <laughs> new topic. Just for that. I, new topic, mm. okay. You keep on. I'll be grounded for a month. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, well. We'll have to see what's going on then. I'm ready to be so evil to me. It's just terrible. Okay. Wait, wait. I'm terrible? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I said. Uh huh. Say, Wolf says in the chat room the T Lady Protection Agency is recruiting. She's very Bond villain, isn't she? She's very Bond villain. (laughs) Okay. I am not being the Wicked Witch of the West. That woman was green. I'd rather be Glinda. I want to be the Wicked Witch of the West. She was the worst of them. 
I definitely want to be the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time she sank my battleship, Jilly. She, she's terrible to me. I try very hard not to sink your battleship. All right, because then you tend to fire back with all <sighs> And the next time I hand you something that please, please, you know, beta this, I get back this nice sea of red. It could happen. <laughs> it could happen. Sometimes, sometimes you need a most more thorough beta than others. Right. That's. Mhm. You know, except that you, you open it up and you have a heart attack because you, you gave this nice black and white fic and it comes back looking like somebody had a spatter, uh, 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 you know, spatter fic with it. Like, oh, suck it up, buttercup. Well, darling, I swallow, but what's the problem? <laughs> One of the things that I had to... Um, what is that naked cat called? Um, it's a sphinx. Yeah, I think so. Um, that's a hairless cat, which apparently is also yeah. hypoallergenic. hypoallergenic mhm. Because it doesn't have um, dander either. Very weird. Very ugly too. Very unattractive cat. Um, was that species? This species. Anyway, it's a really ugly cat. It is. Um, <clears throat> what the hell am I going to talk about? See what she does to me? She just like my brain just blah blah blah. I don't know. Whatever. Images. Come on, get back here. Oh God. It's so ugly, it's cute. It's really not. I mean, there are some things that are so ugly that cute and that's not one of them. It kinda of reminds me of Dolly. Like those little Sharpay dogs, they're so ugly they're cute. <laughs> Yeah, that guy's cute. I have not seen the new Star Trek movie. I've also not seen Ghostbusters. I have seen Tarzan. Go see Tarzan, ladies. Go see Tarzan. You don't need to enjoy the story. You don't have to care about the plot. Go see Tarzan. Because there comes a moment when he takes off his shirt and he never puts it back on the rest of the movie. My mom and dad and I are going to go see the new Star Trek tomorrow. I may stay around and see the newborn. And depending on what's at the theater, I might just uh, pull out a triple and go see, um, you know, the the new uh, Tarzan. That's a distinct possibility. But, yeah. Tarzan. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And the way he looks at her and the way he – oh, it is – Ladies, you need nothing else. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm just, you know, I damn. always want one of these little things. And gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who, you know, mm-hmm. are of that persuasion, go see Tarzan. I'm not kidding. He takes off his shirt, and then he runs around in the jungle, and swings on vines, and <laughs> it smells his wife's hair in a really hot, sexy way. And then there's also, 
I feel gypped because there's no sex scene. But other than that, it's beautiful. I take it this is one of the scenes that, or one of the, the, the images you're talking about? I kind of remember the plot. Kind of. But mostly I just remember him <laughs> being naked. Almost naked. In his little tight pants. It's beautiful. I highly recommend it. You forgot to do the the whole link, by the way. It's not working. No, I clicked on it. Damn it! But you didn't say you didn't Bastard. copy the G. Yeah, he's like that the whole damn movie. It is just perfect. So good. Yeah, mm. yeah. See, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, it's beautiful. It's really. It's just amazing. It's just an amazing, amazing movie because he's so beautiful. Um. I'm sure the plot was great too. Yeah, <laughs> I think the the link I put up. The reason it's not coming up is because it ran out of characters. So add that G to that first link. Yeah, add the G. And it wasn't me after I added the G. And maybe if Kira's nice, she'll add the links to the uh, comments so other people can can understand why we're all so thrilled with this particular movie that most of us haven't seen yet. It's lovely. It's lovely. I highly recommend it. Um, I do want to see the new Star Trek movie, but I'm not. Um, I'm not super excited about it. I mean, I want to see it, but I'm not like super, super excited. So maybe after Lady Holder watches it and she tells me whether or not I should be super excited, I'll get super excited. We'll see. Well, I'll definitely tell you if you should be freaked out, but I don't think you will be. (laughs) I don't know. You know, it just, it it looks really um, action packed, but for me, my favorite Uh Star Trek ever was, um, Undiscovered Country? No. My favorite Star Trek was The Voyage Home. Really? She liked yeah. the whale one. I like the whale one. Part of the reason I like the whale one is I have family in the San Fran area, so I recognize a lot of it. But there's also the point where the crew is walking around and... and um, Kirk and Spock are walking off, and he looks back at them, and he yells at them to, you know, move around. You look like a cadet with you. And it was just, you know, this utter ridiculousness of a bunch of people dressed in 23rd, 24th century gear in 1980 San Francisco. It's just ridiculous. My favorite part about that, my favorite part about that movie is that they were walking around in these ridiculous uniforms and no one even looked at them. And here's, Spock, here's Spot running around in a robe and no one gives a shit. Nope. Not a goddamn bit. He doesn't you even know? get a passing look until he jumps in the pool and has a conversation with the whale. <laughs> I know. Nobody knows. San Francisco, gotta love it. That's pretty funny. That that amuses me. Yeah. But no, Undiscovered Country is my favorite Star Trek film. Um, I think it is honestly just it's amazing, and it says um, so much about um, Gene Roddenberry's vision um, of, of Star Trek and um, future and diversity and. Um, acceptance and moving past hostilities. It's just really amazing. It is my favorite Star Trek movie. Um, at one time, I always said the motion picture was my second favorite, but now I can't watch the motion picture without seeing that dude, that pedophile, and it ruined it for me. 
Oh, yeah, Decker. I forgot. Decker. The guy who played Decker yeah, is a pedophile. In... Yeah, that's just creepy as fuck. And now I can't watch okay. Motion Picture without thinking about it. And it's ruined it for me. I'm you really glad I never watched Seventh Heaven, so I'm not. It, it, so it didn't ruin my childhood or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely ruined the, on the on the motion picture for me. The I would have put it I, on my I top can't list. watch with the one I can't watch without um, just getting all sniffly is um, the second Star Trek, which I can't remember the name of. The Wrath of Khan. I watched. I was dumb. I watched the Wrath of Khan. I was going to watch Search for Spock, but I thought I need to watch The Rise of Khan first, and it was right after Leonard Nimoy died. And by the time, oh. Oh. by the time they got to the funeral in The Rise of Khan, I was sobbing like a child. Oh man, yeah. I was sobbing like a child, and so I had to immediately watch Search for Spock. <laughs> get that. Yeah. <laughs> get it. It's just, to get that. Mm. Mm. No, Undiscovered Country is the one where Kirk goes to prison. Um, he's framed for murdering in Klingon, and it's it the Klingon Accords. Um, the one with Cybok is um, the Final Frontier. I believe so. Which is honestly the worst Star Trek movie ever made. Oh God, it was hideous. Except for Nemesis. Yeah, Nemesis sucks too. I mean, it's like, it's it's even with Nemesis. Um, okay, Nemesis is the one with the Wraith Queen who's basically a set of head and shoulders and a, and a spine that curls like cat's tail? No, no. Nemesis is the one where they clone Picard. Um, the one you're talking about is First Contact. That one was weird. But not bad. It's not bad. I'm sorry. Um, to, to Generations this, to this was day, interesting. I, I... Mm-hmm. But mm. it's it's really weird what sticks in your head because as I was thinking about um, Undiscovered Country, I remembered the name of the jail, which is Rural Pente, and yeah. I didn't realize that I that it was the correct one until I'm skimming through this plot. But in the final frontier, that's the one with Cybok, and it is the worst one. It is the worst Star Trek movie, and then Nemesis is like the worst point five. <laughs> there were some. There were some seriously fucked up ones. Oh, but Undiscovered Country I, is the really Country's... awesome one, where um... it has Christopher Plummer with the the the. Shakespeare quoting Klingon. Yeah, I love Undiscovered Country. But there is a really great line in The Final Frontier where Kirk is about to die and he gets beamed onto mm-hmm. a Klingon bird of prey because Spock is um, there. And mm-hmm. Kirk goes, Spock, and goes to hug him. And Spock says, Sir, Captain, not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Look, you can hug me later. Not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> yes, not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> let, let me yes. get my dignity. But um, Undiscovered Country um, was just honestly one of the best um, as Star Trek movies. In some ways, with the, with, with even with the, the um, 
topics they were discussing, it was still, it was a romp. They had fun. They got to go to prison. They got to break out of prison. And there was a shape-shifting chick that was hot and not. It was fun. It was, yeah, she, she was, she was um, David Bowie's wife. Yeah. I believe yeah. that's who it was. Yeah. And, um, uh, it was just, it was great. There's a murder plot and um, mm-hmm. there's a conspiracy and uh, Michael Dorham played a Klingon. He played his ancestor. Mm-hmm. He played Worf's yep. ancestor. I actually, and um, it was just yeah, really awesome. I, I liked how, Bo- I liked how crotchety Bones was through the whole thing. He just, his give a fuck broke somewhere in there and he just I'm done <laughs> I'm 100% so done with this bullshit yeah <laughs> yeah you know there, there's, a, there's a line in, in Undiscovered Country where he's listening to the, the Shakespeare quoting um, Klingon and he said I, I would give or he, I think he said he, I would give good money if he would just shut up <laughs> <laughs> if he would just shut the fuck up you know <clears throat> pretty much Honestly, I think that the character of Bones is often um, uh, left shallow in the movies, um, which is really a shame. For those of you who are big Star Trek fans, um, read Spock's World. Um, oh because his Bones is amazing. He's amazing. Um, so, so read Spock's World. And um, you just you just realize just how yeah underutilized the character of um, Bones is. Um, Spock's world is a uh, professional work um, in the uh, in the Star Trek verse, um, and uh, it's amazing. It's a fantastic story. Um, I highly recommend it. Highly. If if you're gonna write in the Star Trek universe, if I had to go with a set of books that um, would define the Vulcans for me. It would be Spock's World, Vulcan Academy Murders, and, um, God, there's one other one that was, this, it's the, the basically the second one in the series with the Vulcan Academy Murders. But those three were Vul- are Vulcans for me. What I really enjoyed about Spock's World is... Um, that after all those years together, that Bones still had the ability to surprise both Kirk and Spock. <laughs> totally, totally. <surprising>. Boom! <laughs> mm-hmm. Very good. It's very good. It's yeah. just a really great book. I read it when I was very young. Um, in fact, I read Star Trek books before I saw the Star Trek movies. Um, I'd watched the series, and then I got a whole bunch of Star Trek books at a yard sale, and I was super happy. And so I was reading them, and then one of my dad's friends brought over the first three movies on VHS, and um, I was going to watch them. And I'd finished the first one, and I was about to start the second one, but I was going to have to go to bed after I finished it. And he said, you should watch the second one tomorrow so you'll have time to watch the third one. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite get it because I didn't know what happened at the end of the second one. So I did. I waited. And I called him after the second one. And I was so upset. I said, why didn't you tell me they killed Spock? Oh, my God. He said, sweetheart, put this uh, the third movie in and calm down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was devastated. 
Yep. The the other one I was I was talking about the IDIC um, epidemic. Uh, that is another one of those where it's a good look inside um, inside Vulcan and how they how they react to how they um, how they treat what things. And also, I frankly, it's a really good is... McCoy book. Very, very good. What I would say is that none of these Star Trek books are canon. Not anymore, um, no. No, they they never were canon. They're not canon in, well, they're obviously not canon in the AOS verse, but they were also never canon mm-hmm. in the original universe because they're contradictory. Um, Amanda Grayson mm-hmm. dies six Forever. different ways in the books. She's killed on Vulcan. She dies of old age. She's killed in a shuttlecraft accident. She's killed on purpose. She's murdered. I mean, just across the board, they do not, because there was no central authority on the creation of Star Trek books, um, they don't have any kind of continuity, and they're not canon. Um, so just keep yeah. that in mind. Yeah, it... it. Actually, there's another character who dies in several different ways that I remember right. Tapau. Yeah. Dies. Because um, she dies in a book before the rat, before the Wrath of Khan in the timeline. Yeah. But Tapau is the one that puts mm-hmm. Spock back in his body in the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. And so. got him married. And. You know, and or actually was was uh, officiating on his his marriage, and that kind of went straight to shit. I don't think I'm ever gonna like to bring. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of an asshole. But, yeah, pretty much. As much as the book right. can be an asshole. Um, but yep. oddly enough, Star Trek was my first fandom. I guess, yeah, mm-hmm. my first fandom. It's um. It was definitely mine. You know, it's um, one of the ones that I really wasn't expecting, you know, to to um, to fall in love with so hard because I did, you know. So. Uh, let's see. Are you still there, or did I hang up on you? No, you didn't hang up on me. I was thinking about it, and, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why um, Star Trek was so special to me when I was young, um, beyond the fact that I wanted to be an astronaut, because I did want to be an astronaut, um, was the um, the hopefulness. Star Trek was mm-hmm. very hopeful. It was very, very uh, inspiring and very hopeful, and... Um, at a very young age, it, I, I found it um, kind of a comfort to believe that one day we would mm-hmm. go that far, that, that we would be that good, that we would be that force for good in the universe. It's just as amazing to think that humanity could be um, so good. One of Flawed, the, but good. Um, in, but you know, yeah. One of the things I will say this: every single um, 
Star Trek show or movie, when it comes to being able to put together music that will stir you and inspire you and make you believe that somewhere, somewhen, you know, we can be um, we can be better than we currently are. That's being able to do that with music is really cool. I remember going to see. Um, what was the first Next Generation movie? Was it Generations, or was it First Contact? I honestly don't remember. I was in college when the first. Um, uh, it was Generations, generation, apparently. Generation. The first Next Generation movie come out, I was in college, um, and we went to see it. We drove an hour away from college to see it because it wasn't available where we were because um, they were going to do a midnight showing in this one town. So we went over there, a whole bunch of us, and we sat down. We got real comfortable. We got our, you know, we got our drinks and we got our um, popcorn, and the music started, and my throat got really tight, and I was like, oh, God, this is going to be so awesome. Because it was just like that that big epic full orchestra Star Trek theme, and I was yes, because <laughs> you know it was just yes, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was such a fan. I was such a fan. My favorite opening music. I've got a one and a two. My first one is actually Voyager. I may not like the show. But I thought their their music, that opening music, that piece that they do, oh, it was gorgeous. The second one is Enterprise, that song that they did. Oh, I hated okay. the Enterprise music. Oh, I loved it. it, it My favorite well, Star Trek it, opening would probably be DS9. That one was a gorgeous one, too. Really My mom was. is a huge Voyager fan. Huge. She mainlined the series when it when when it hit um, Netflix. Um, she didn't even leave her house for like a week. I was like, "Are you coming to town?" No, I'm watching Voyager. I'm like, are you serious? You're what? What? <laughs> That's the worst one. <laughs> Why are you watching that? <laughs> okay. But here's the thing about Voyager that appealed to my mom. Um, mm-hmm. She very much identified with Janeway. Mm-hmm. Um, and viewed her, I guess, as a, as a contemporary. And so she very much, Janeway was very much. Um, Kate McGrew is in her 60s? Yeah, and it's not about the age, it's about this woman in authority and my mom was just really really invested in this um in the um, um in the story and i think it had everything to do with um janeway um and it's her favorite star trek she she loves it and um i can't even talk shit about it actually because she loves it so much But There's with this woman that I could throw, I could drive the the Voyager oh, through. Oh, she don't um, she don't care about that shit. Um, she she really just you know really appreciated that there was a woman in the captain's seat, and um, my mom's at an age where uh, she grew up 
not thinking that was possible. It was not something that was something I could contemplate. You know, when when I was, you know, when I was growing up, I watched the reruns of the original series, and I fell in love with it. All its campy glory. I mean, I, I know of no other show that could sink so low as Fox's brain. Just <laughs> that one. That one took oh, bless the, heart. That one took bless the cake and the bakery. Every ounce of southernness I've got, bless their hearts. Yeah. Um, All I of watched, them, everybody involved. I, I mean, yeah. Wow. Uh, when Next Gen came on, I was right there. I was watching it. My initial reaction was less than stellar because it it was not – it was not the, the glorious camp, okay? It was actually taking itself rather seriously. I was relieved. <laughs> Although I was super disappointed that Q wasn't more regular. They set us up. I kind of felt like Q was going to be around more often than he was, and it was really annoying. I liked Q. But here's, here's the thing. If Q had been around all that, I mean, if he'd been multiple times in the season – he would have worn out his welcome. He wouldn't have been that bright, shining star of asshole that he that he was. Are you kidding? As you know? far as Picard was concerned, he wore out his welcome five minutes into the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was if the ever point. there was the, if ever there was the constipated I hate you look, that man got it good. You know. Oh, by the way, fiction um, influencing real life. I wasn't a tea drinker when I was a kid. My family didn't do it, and the coffee was nasty the way my my folks did it. But Next Gen came around, and I listened to this really nice English accent going, Earl Grey tea hot to the, to the <laughs> thing. And I was like, fuck, i got to try this stuff. Went out and got it, and damn it, that's good stuff. So what happens now? I think there's like 20 different varieties of Earl Grey sitting around my house. I don't. I'm, I'm not really a tea drinker unless I'm sick. Mm. Well, I drink cold tea, but I don't drink hot tea unless I'm sick. Yeah, and I'm the exact opposite. Actually, forget it. I'm I'm just different enough. I can't drink cold tea for love nor money. There's a microwave. Yeah, I I I will nuke my tea and make it hot again. I don't even brew my cold tea in hot water. I brew it in cold water. I uh, I make a jug and I put my tea bags in it and I stick it in the fridge for 24 hours. My, who did the, the picture? My grandmother used to have this little two, maybe three cup pot that she would take the family-sized Lipton's tea bags and put, like, six of the damn things in there and boil it. And yeah. then she would... And then she dilute it with water and ice. And I tried that stuff. She did not, by the way, put sugar in this. Well, that's okay. that's not good. <laughs> there, there, there should be sugar All in right. that. There wasn't any. So I... I, I Grandma's drinking this stuff. It's got to be great. She's swilling this stuff all day long. There's no going out of style with this. I took a drink of it and wanted to die. 
There was so much tannin in there. It was like licking the inside of an oak barrel. That's why All I right. prefer to do mine cold in the refrigerator because it doesn't get bitter and it doesn't get cloudy. Um, it it's great. I I like it that way. Um, but you can't if if if, if you're going to brew hot, you can't leave your bags in for very long. And you're not supposed to actually boil the bags. You're supposed to boil the water and then pour the bags pour the water over the bags. <laughs> no. But my mom boils hers like, too, and it makes the strongest tea. You can put your spoon up in the damn tea without anything in it. It will stand up straight. The tea is like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And the, the concentrate, if you drank that stuff, your hair would be straight because it'd be standing on end. As it my grandpa boom. would tell, would often say, whether you were male or female, go ahead, drink some. It'll, it'll put, put lead in your hair. pencil. Put it. Oh, no, mine, my family one was it'll put hair on your chest. And I'm looking at my grandfather going, I'm a girl. Why do I want hair on my chest? It was lead in your pencil. And one time I pointed out to him, I said, I don't have a pencil. And he looked at me like, so pretend you do. And I've been doing so ever since. So if anybody questions mm-hmm. my theoretical pencil, my grandpa told me it's to. <laughs> yeah. We, we've done this. Before my grandmother, my, uh, my family would do the sun tea thing. And it was always fascinating how fast it would do its thing. So, yeah. Who my word says, what if Luxana was made a cue? Didn't she get made a cue at one point? No. It will be bad. I mean, she's already terrible. There's just no need to add to that to that struggle. If I remember correctly, she's like the granddaughter or... She's a granddaughter of one of your characters in Tangled Destinies, right? Yes. Yeah, I recognize that force of nature, you know, in in the characters and the last name. One thing I really um, people have been asking me a lot lately about um, incorporating um, into darkness and the new movie into Tangled Destinies. The thing is, is that Tangled Destinies is so fundamentally different that even shoehorning in what happened in the first movie after the Kelvin was destroyed is going to be difficult. Much less the other two movies. It's just, there it's is, not really a fit for my plot. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be elements. Them. I'll pick up elements, but the overall arc mm-hmm. and the events, no, absolutely not. It doesn't work. The the reason I'm 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 kind of going no in big bold letters is um, second movie there's you know uh, there's a death and that would not go over well no I'm not killing my Christopher Pike no I wasn't well I wasn't just talking about Pike oh yeah even if he gets yeah yeah. even if he gets fixed he did die Um, yes Someone asked me on my site of killing characters, <laughs> and um, I said, I really have no problem killing a bad guy, but I literally cannot kill my darlings. I don't care what Stephen King says. I cannot do it. No. 
The thing is, is the world is really terrible and fucked up and people die every day and it's really sad and terrible. Mm-hmm. Why should I make myself sad and feel terrible about my own work? I I tend to agree. Um, one of, an author I was friends with years ago um, had to make a very hard choice to kill a character just because he... He had a very large ensemble cast, and it was getting to be very artificial that nobody died, okay? Injuries happened, yes, but none of the main characters died, and the one he killed just absolutely floored all of us who were reading it because we weren't expecting to see that character die, Um it hit about as hard as when, you know, I, I was reading McCaffrey and she killed the Master Harper. You know, it's just, he's not supposed to die. You know? I realize the character's supposed to die. I'm just not, I can't do it. I cannot do mm-hmm. it. One of the reasons why I'm a, I'm a romance writer is I don't have to do shit like that. Um, and I don't do it in fandom because I write fandom as a hobby. I'm not going to fucking do it there either. I'm just not going to do it. I don't. I don't have any urge to. <laughs> I don't have any urge to 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 kill people. You know, I actually like. I mean, although there was that I'm romance writer, and I forget who she was. Um, she was writing some uh, long-standing suspense series, and she killed the hero. And her readers really? lost their fucking minds. But I forget who it was. I'm sure there's somebody in the chat room who's thinking, yeah, I know exactly who she's talking about. And I'm not trying to call her out on purpose or anything. It's just, um, I, All I can think I can, of is, doesn't that kind of dis- destroy the whole reason for the romance novel? Well, it wasn't a romance novel. It was a spent series. Oh, is this? What happened? Spent. The rest of it was everybody was investigating his death, his his murder. Well, it, they were. I didn't watch, I didn't read the series. I have no idea what was going on. It was a suspense series, um, and they were either he was either a cop or a private detective. Which I don't remember. I really have honestly no clue. But it was a suspense series, and the relationship was actually secondary to the plot, or maybe not even that. Maybe even third to the plot. Um, and hmm. the writer killed the hero, and her readership lost their fucking mind. I think the book actually tanked. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, But uh, you got to be careful. I I think that I could probably send Nora Roberts hate mail if she killed Rourke. I've never sent a hate hate you letter to anybody, but if J.D. Robb killed Rourke, I would fucking lose it. I would would just, I I wouldn't be able to read any more of the books, number one. I probably wouldn't be able to read the other books either because it would be ruined for me. And I probably would send her a terrible email. You know, I think I I would be there with you because, um, yeah, no. Just think of that makes me furious and she ain't even done it. (laughs) I don't think she would do it Mm -hmm. because she's smart. She's a very savvy writer. But, it was on that level for that particular author and that particular series and her fans. Um, 
Mm-mm. It's just no, not good. I'm it's gonna... just not. Um, that's not good. No. So don't don't kill nobody. That's the reason why I got not read the last um, uh, Children of Earth book because of the ending. Apparently, oh, for God's sake. the ending. Oh, I, I heard about the I heard about the ending before I bought the book. I did not buy the book because the ending is fucking horrific. I bought it because I I have all the rest of them. I don't think I've even cracked it open. Give you an idea. And and I actually slogged my way through Plains of Passage and Caverns of Stone or whatever it is. I I read those two. I wanted Shelter to... of Stone. Oh, Shelter, Shelter of Stone. Of Stone. Pardon. So I actually enjoy Plains of Passage, but my, but my favorite was Mammoth Hunter. It's written by Gina Yule, A U E L. Um, Clan of the Cave Bear mm-hmm. is the first book. Then there's Valley of the Horses, and then oh, there's and that Mammoth. Oh, horror Hunters. story. Um, uh, there is rape in the first book, just to keep um, mm-hmm. to, I'm just just keeping it real. There there is um, a lot of rape in Clan of the Cave Bear. Um, although it's not couched that way, it's not said to be that, but that's what it no. is. Um, so Valley of the Horses is second, and then there's the Mammoth Hunter, which is third, and there's the Plains of Passage. And between Plains of Passage and Shelters of Stone, we had to wait like 15 years. And I was so mm-hmm. super excited when Shelters of Stone came out that I went to the bookstore the day it debuted and bought it and read it. And I was going to go buy the, th- the last book, which I did not. The title is escaping me. And I did not buy it because um, of what I heard about the ending. Because it ruined mm-hmm. it for me. Oh my god, words, no. Fuck? She said her mom took her to see that when she was six. Clan of the Cave Bear with Daryl Hannah. Yeah, <sighs> no. I guess We've the series got... is finished, considering what happened at the very end of the last book, um, which I won't say here because I don't want to spoil it for anybody who wants to read it. Um, I it, don't know if the, the writer was Painted finished Caves. writing it. Uh, the, the what? Land of the Land of Painted Caves, two thousand eleven. Um, but I have not read it, Jesus. and I will not be reading it. Um, it's just no, absolutely not. Um, I, I feel betrayed as a as a as a reader. It was a cop out for me. Okay, so give you an idea. This particular series started in 1980 with Clan of the Cave Bear. Land of the Land of Painted Caves is 2011. All right, it's seven books, 31 fucking years, and. Twelve years between Plains of Passage and Shelters of Stone. You know, talk about wow. You know, but I was okay waiting for it. If she, if she was finished writing, she could have just said, "I'm finished writing." She didn't have to do what she did. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. she could have ended it on a very happy note, but she did not. She and could I have left it with Shelters of Stone. Yeah, she could have left it with shelters and stone. We'd have been happy. As far as I'm concerned, she did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just like when I cut the epilogue out of Deathly Hallows. I 
I said it before, and I think some of you don't take me seriously when I said that, but I've only read the epilogue once because I cut it out of my book with an X-Acto knife and set it on fire. <laughs> yeah. My my favorite of this series go Valley of the Horses, Mammoth Hunters, Plains of Passage. Those were my three favorites. The first and and the last you can just no done. But it's a crazy thing that if you actually read those books, you can actually learn something from them, which is disturbing in, in some yeah, ways considering you know, it's fiction. Enough, if I was ever in an apocalypse, if I had the first of those, if if I had Valley of the Horses and Mammoth Hunters, Mammoth, Mammoth I could Hunters totally fucking survive. And the Passage. Yeah, well, no, those you don't three. read Plains of Passage because all the stuff that she does in Plains of Passage, she learned to do in Valley of the Horses and Mammoth Hunters, including True. making soap. So, you know, if you had yeah. those two books in the apocalypse, you're set. Mm-hmm. You learn how to kill and dress and make leather with your own pee, and you make soap. And brains. brains. Actually, soap doesn't show up until, soap doesn't show up until Plains of Passage. Whatever. Are you sure? Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I thought it was yeah. a Mammoth Hunter's the soap happened because no, there was the, the world um, of the natural spring pool and the oral sex. Yeah, this this was on the um, major side of the glacier. Mm, okay. Okay. <laughs> God, we're ridiculous. Okay, so yeah. You'll notice that I framed my memory of that particular event around sex. The first <laughs> book is horrifying. Valley of the Horses and Mammoth Hunters oh. is pretty hot, actually. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Clan of the Cave Bear. I. Mm. Although when I, I read Clan of the Cave Bear, I did not know what I was reading. I was very young. My friend had given me the book to read, and I read it, and I did not understand. That what I was yeah, reading that's... was rape. It wasn't until I, I was it, thirteen or fourteen years. I mean, so I was like eleven when I read um, *Clan of the Cave Bear*. Um, I was a very advanced reader, um, and I—I I was thirteen or fourteen when I realized that what I read in that book was rape. Mm-hmm. It was horrifying. I was—I was like. Oh my God! I called my friend. I said, "Oh my God! He that asshole caveman raped her through the whole book." And she said, "You didn't know that?" And I was like, "I because I was rereading um, Clan of the Cave Bear because we had found a copy of Mammoth Hunters, mm-hmm. um, and we were going to read that." So. We she read Clan of the Cave Bear and then she sent it to me and I read Clan of the Cave Bear and you we were gonna go through and read them all. And and it wasn't at that point when I read it for the third time in my life that I realized that Aelia is that how you say her name? Aelia? Aelia, yeah. Um, had been raped repeatedly as a child Mm -hmm. in Clan of the Cave Bear. Anyways. It's it's a it's a disturbing read, but it's a good read. I mean, I, I wouldn't read it again, but um, I have it. Oh. 
I do too. It's um, it's one of the ones that I won't. I I actually did watch the movie with Daryl Hannah. Um, <laughs> I heard it's really terrible. Oh my god, it's hideous. But it does in, uh, inform how I looked at things later, um, which it's really weird where I, um, speaking of that, you know, I watched The Hobbit for fun and, and distraction. So, of course, I've basically got all the characters imprinted as what they sound like, you know, or Lord of the Rings. And so when somebody writes a story on them, I don't hear my mental voice, you know, what I sound like when I'm reading. I, I hear the voices of these characters talking. And it's actually really weird sometimes how, how you do that. You know, where you Funnily enough, I do that with Senna. When, when we're in chat um, <laughs> and Senna talks, I hear her voice. <laughs> Plain as day. Yeah. Every mm-hmm. little girl nuance. Mm-hmm. Especially when she moves <laughs> in surround sound. Yeah, <laughs> but she's the only one I do that way, and I—it's really funny because I've heard Jilly and Lady Holder more mm-hmm. than I have Senna, but I still, when I when I see Senna talking or chatting, I hear her voice in my head. It's it's crazy. I hear your voice when I when I do it, but then. You know that's that's how I react to people. You know, it's it's um, I see somebody words, I hear it in their voice. Yeah. I do the same thing with Jillian. Yeah. Um, sometimes it makes sick interesting. I'm you know I will occasionally watch um, just enough of whatever the source material is to get the voices. Which I'm really glad that I managed to get. The the um, Teen Wolf stuff without actually having to watch much of the show. That's really yeah. interesting because someone expressed um, shock that I had never seen the Harry Potter movies. And they were surprised at how well I did the characters without ever having watched the movies. I've watched maybe like twenty minutes total of it on um, YouTube. Mhm. That's it. I and they were surprised the that I had that I was I guess they were surprised by how well I characterized the characters without having watched the movie. But that's not how I process people or characters. Um that's just not how I that's just not how my brain works. I I do the casting couch the casting pictures for my site because I had readers ask me over and over again to do so. Mhm. But I don't always do that when I'm writing. I don't need um to assign a face to a character. It helps that I, I did know read who all the major books, yes. faces are. Yeah. Yeah. But for me the the you know, getting the the movies halfway through the the series with the books and and or at least most of the way through the books and being able to look at it and say, "Okay, well, I, I I see Harry in this person, you know, and and I started matching them up, and yeah, now when I think about them, you know, the three main actors are you know 
Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Okay, and that's that's how I think of them as. Now, I do separate the fact that they're not those actual characters, but when I think of the characters, the the actors' faces and voices are what I hear and I see. Um, um, I just don't do that. I mean, I know obviously who they who the little actors are who played the parts, and um, 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 I'm sure they did very well in the movies. Uh, I just couldn't get past the, the scene. Um, I didn't get past the sorting watching um, the Philosopher's Stone because I was so fucking pissed off about how they cut it up. It really annoyed the shit out of me how much they cut out in the first freaking 15 minutes of the movie. I'm like, I'm done. I can't watch it. (laughs) Oh, can you imagine if there's ever a series with the In-Death series? That's... At one time, there was going to be, uh, no, but I'm not sure what happened to it. It was, a, it, was a, it was a TV show idea. It just never took off. I know they were trying the same thing. They were trying to do a series with uh, Dragon Riders, and Anne pulled the plug on that one the last I knew of it. Um, well, considering her sons and um, my... Mm-hmm. Let's not talk bad about the, the deficient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a whole my eye twitched so hard it burned my eyes burning right now because <laughs> it twitched so hard um, we won't discuss that little homophobic fuckwit um, anyways <laughs> anyways um, we're down to a minute and 47 seconds <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed my meandering conversation and Lady Holder picking on me and um, hey, I may or may not do a show time. tomorrow, depending on my mother, who may or may not have plans. Well, just remember, you know, to let us know if she goes to to Walmart again, so we can get the bond uh, file or, or um, you know, thing together, just in case. Hmm. One day she's going to need bail, and you guys are going to be surprised. Probably not. not You're not going to be no. surprised at all. <laughs> Anyways. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll probably see you definitely on Sunday for um, a uh, a short and junk. Anyways, say good night, Lady Holder. Good night.